should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, 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 welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here on this program today. The Michelle Miao Show is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. Today is Thursday, April 6th. <laughs> it's Thursday, April 6th, so thank you so much for joining me. Today I'm going to spend some time playing some interviews that I produced for the television show based out here in San Francisco. We're going to cover topics such as immigration, what to do if approached by ICE, and also we're going to share some stories from the community in what it's like to identify as undocumented and queer. And then I also think it's appropriate to share some interviews that I did that covers uh, black trans lives and this epidemic of trans women, black trans women who are being murdered. And I think that on that same show, we have Mia Too Much, uh, who is a trans activist, and we'll talk about identifying as trans and youth and what that feels like after the president um, and his, uh, his attacks. Uh, we've been talking about it a lot here on the program, and so I thought it would be great to play these interviews. Let's go ahead and get today's program started. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Let's go ahead and play that first show. I'm going to uh, play the show that includes two interviews, one with Maricela Esparza, who's with the San Francisco Immigration Legal Education Network, and she'll talk about what ICE, what to do if ICE approaches you. And uh, the thing about this is that I want to share even though San Francisco is considered a sanctuary city, and what that means is that, um, uh, you know, we're, we're a city of refuge for the undocumented community, and uh, for the most part, they're protected unless there's a warrant from ICE, um, and there has to be some trail of uh, actual criminal activity before deportation proceedings and or an arrest. Um so even though San Francisco is a sanctuary city, we've already seen, you know, uh, reports of ICE showing up in certain neighborhoods where there is a concentration of Latino families. And I think that it's important to, to share these types of stories to let people know that families are being broken apart. So let's take a listen to these interviews. It's the Michelle Miao Show, your A to Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. Here's Michelle Miao. Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. I'm so excited for tonight's show, and that's because I'm back. 
I know, it feels really, really great to have a brand new show for you. Tonight, we have two interviews that will focus on transgender lives here in America during the Trump administration. It is no lie and it is no joke that the transgender community is being directly targeted by this administration. So we'll hear from activist and author Raquel Willis, as well as Mia Satya Too Much, who is San Francisco Pride's former Grand Marshal from last year. Before we get started with the program, let's check in and see what people are saying about the LGBTQ community. South Dakota has become the first state in the country to pass an anti-LGBTQ bill. It is called SB 149 and has been signed into law by the governor. Here is the official text of that law. No child placement agency may be required to provide any service that conflicts with or provide any service under circumstances that conflict with any sincerely held religious belief or moral conviction of the child placement agency that shall be contained in a written policy, statement of faith, or other document adhered to by a child placement agency. Blech! Who writes these things? It's just like a bunch of words all smushed together. Well, basically this text means that it is now legal in South Dakota for any adoption agency or foster agency to deny services to LGBTQ parents who wish to adopt or foster a child. This is all strictly based on the whole religious belief idea. And I wanna tell you that nothing is about religious freedom about this bill, it's all about discrimination. Our next quote comes from Kristen Stewart, who is the actress best known for her film in the Twilight series. And here's what she had to say about coming out and being identified as LGBTQ. There was just a time where I realized that the things you do and say when you have so many people looking at you, they do affect others. So I'm really proud of it. But at the same time, I hate that it's such a big deal. It's a fact of life right now, but it's like whatever. To me, it's not personally that big of a deal, but I know that it can be to others. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you for being brave and thank you for being out and addressing the importance of being out as a public figure. Our next quote comes from Hollywood director and screenwriter Dustin Lance Black on his new miniseries, When We Rise. When We Rise was featured on ABC and it was such a, a great treat for the San Francisco LGBTQ community as it documented our history in the LGBTQ fight for equality. Here's what he had to say about the initial ratings of When We Rise. Before you frame this as anything disappointing, can you please point out that more people have seen this show already than ever saw Milk in the theater. Millions more people around the world know our history today than they did on Sunday. That's incredibly significant. Thank you, Dustin. Thank you so much for all that you do for our community and for sharing our stories, especially the stories that were born right here in San Francisco. It is the greatest gift ever. Our last quote comes from our hero, or I should say Shiro, Rachel Maddow on MSNBC on how Russia might be controlling our government. The Russian government attacked our election. The Russian government was in contact with multiple campaign sources while they were doing it. Russian nemesis in the American government, U.S. State Department, the CIA, are not faring well since Donald Trump came to power. Is the operation that Russia started during the campaign, is it over? Or are they still running it? Are we still in this now? Those are all really great questions, Rachel, and I am proud to say 
that Rachel Maddow's show is one of the most watched programs since President Donald Trump was elected and MSNBC has seen a rise in viewers. That means something. That means we are paying attention. That's it for quotes about the LGBTQ community or quotes that affect the community. Don't go away when we come back. Our interview with activist and author Raquel Willis. The spotlight on success and achievement goes to LGBTQI members of the Bay Area who have demonstrated an incredible amount of success. We're very proud to announce that this month's spotlight on success and achievement is Rick Welts. Well, it's been an unbelievable stretch of time, obviously. Uh, everything the Warriors have gone through this season, really a magical season that ended in a championship. Uh, and now to, to top it off a week later with the opportunity to participate in the Pride Parade in San Francisco, it's a, it's a pretty wonderful time. You know, it's been a journey, right? We're all on our own personal journeys and uh, the last four years has been a remarkable part of my life, but it, it's definitely a part of my life. Uh, you know, the decisions I made four years ago to come out in the way that I did, obviously, you know, I had decided I was signing up for something going forward and being part of the discussion. Uh, and, you know, I welcome that. And this is, uh, you know, for me, a real honor to, to be participating in this way. And I guess in, in some ways it, it will be a demonstration of how far professional sports has come in, in a very short period of time, uh, not as far as our society has come. So I think we have a lot to celebrate. Wow, I, I don't think I have any secrets. I don't think I'm that mysterious. You know, I've got a, a pretty simple life. I like pretty simple things. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a great partner, his name's Todd Gage. Uh, he has two wonderful children, a 14-year-old girl and a 10-year-old boy. I, I uh, got off the parade route, got into a car with them, we drove to Lake Tahoe, and I got to watch 14-year-old girls play four soccer games over the course of the weekend and then drive back to the Bay Area. So that's my idea of an exciting weekend, you know, spending it with the kids and my partner and getting to do, you know, the most basic things that any family would get to do. Spotlight on Success and Achievement, presented by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Miao Show. Welcome back to the show. Washington, D.C. has officially reported that there has been a spike or a rise in violence affecting the LGBTQ community. The transgender community has already seen multiple murders or incidents of violence affecting or targeting the transgender community. Our next guest is author and activist Raquel Willis, who's here to talk about Black Trans Lives and Black Trans Lives Matter. Let's get to the interview. What are people not understanding, you know, about why this is a crisis, why this is an epidemic? Because we've seen the reports, many of us in the LGBTQ community, especially if you're an activist, in which black trans women or women of color, trans women of color, experience a disproportionate percentage or level of violence than women in general in the country. Definitely. Um, and, and I think, you know, we can even think about this on the macro scale, just thinking about the Trump administration and all of the, the kind of hateful rhetoric that has come out to different groups, right? You think about um, the quote-unquote Muslim ban. You think about the large mobilizations of women uh, the day after his inauguration. All of these issues have been affecting segments of the trans community. Um, and, and so it's even 
deeper when a transgender person faces uh, being deported or faces uh, just not having access to, to reproductive uh, health uh, care. Um, so all of this has been intertwined with everything that's been going on, but time and time again we see uh, trans people and, and particularly black trans people just not accounted for in, the, in that discussion. Uh, so we need to be having real conversations with black trans women about what they need instead of saying, oh, well, you know, this is really sad. I'll uplift the death and, and not worry about the black trans women that are still here, the ones that are constantly crying out for help. Uh, this is going to sound like such a, a horrible question, but um, that's our reality. How do people expect black trans women or trans women of color to, to live in this society, this country, where access to basic care and needs and, and these attitudes of, of hate and discrimination are so rampant? I've really struggled with seeing how the trans student conversation has been painted as just a white uh, trans youth problem, right? And we rarely see black and brown trans youth discussed in that conversation. And there's, there's a big problem with not understanding that trans youth uh, who don't have affirming environments even outside of school end up being these people who are killed, right? Mm -hmm. End up being these black trans women who are killed. So we have to connect all of these issues together and understand that affirming environments need to be created all around. Absolutely. I wanna, I wanna focus on that a little bit because I think the transgender community has done an incredible job with the uplifting. And I don't wanna take away from the fact that the community has been resilient and has been so strong even though it feels like everything or everyone is working against them. Mm -hmm. But what about the rest of the community? And I mean the LG and B. Uh, are we doing enough to, to be supportive, to be inclusive, to be as uplifting and resilient as transgender leaders have been for their community? I honestly don't think so. And I think that this has been a conversation that we have been having for decades. Um, a lot of the larger LGBTQ organizations still lack that inclusion of the, the T in their leadership. Uh, you rarely see trans women of color, particularly black trans women, in leadership positions at, at these organizations. You rarely see even uh, this infrastructure that we are told is for us, right? We're, we're that T in, in, the, in the initialism, LGBTQ, but still we don't see uh, people coming out to our communities, meeting us on the ground and saying, we're here to support you and we're going we're gonna to follow your lead. A lot of times I've seen uh, groups say that they want to support uh, the black trans community and then they come in and, and don't really listen and kind of bogart and then tell us what we need, but that's not really how activism and supporting grassroots organizing works, mm -hmm. you know? And that's one thing that I, I love about working at Transgender Law Center is that we are very much invested in that community output. We understand that uh, supporting community leaders, building them up through our national training institutes is what needs to happen. We need to be advocating for people to advocate for themselves.
Don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion with activist Raquel Willis. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face -face with today's thought leaders. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back to the show. Let's continue our conversation with activist Raquel Willis about black trans lives and why they matter. So the transgender community is under attack. It's a state of emergency, and I feel like it's a, it's a crisis that we need to address immediately. Not only did we hear that the president has made a decision to rescind federal protections for transgender youths recently, but also there's been reports of murders and violence that have impacted the transgender community. Already in February, you know, five weeks in the new year or so, we know of seven cases or seven reports in which six of those reports are black trans women. What are we doing? What is going on? Well, you know, the funny thing is, is a lot of the same old is going on. Um, these attacks have been happening particularly to black trans women and brown uh, trans women since before the election, right? And so when the election happened and people were more galvanized to get involved with activism, to uh, mobilize against this bigotry, his, his agenda of bigotry, I was weary of, of what the response would be when the, the hatred kind of finally got around to trans people. Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter has put an incredible campaign out there in the last few years that have focused on black lives. I feel like it's time we really, you know, put our, our feet to the gas pedal to, or show the spotlight on black trans lives and black trans women. How do you feel about, you know, that statement? And kind of, how do, how do, we, how do we do that? 
Well, I definitely think that the Black Lives Matter movement as a network has really tried to create a platform that is inclusive and intersectional. Uh, and there has been uh, a lot of talk about more inclusion of black trans people, more awareness of the issues that we face. Uh, but I think making that uh, become an action, right? Moving that into action has been difficult uh, because a lot of times uh, black trans people just don't have the space to uh, tackle activism in the same way that maybe cisgender folks do. Um, a lot of us are dealing with uh, lack of housing, dealing with inadequate health care, dealing with difficulties in education, as we see with what uh, the Trump administration handed down last week. So it's been difficult to get people to elevate and center our voices, but also give us space to figure out what that means for us, figure out what mobilizing around our issues actually means, instead of just saying it. I heard this talk uh, in which a black trans woman had said to me that she feels lucky to just wake up every day. Mm -hmm. um, if you could provide us with, with a message of hope of some kind, that would be wonderful. Definitely. Um, I, I think that the, the biggest thing is just to remember that you matter, you are valuable, and your voice and your needs and your desires should be materialized. Um, you are a bright light in this world, and I truly believe that trans people are the key to liberation. So when we think about a future where there is freedom for everyone, where everyone can have the health care that they need, where they can access the education they need, where they can love who they want to love. That includes trans people, you know? And so this is for the little boy who was told that he can't have uh, emotions, he can't cry. This is for the little girl who's told she can't be strong, she can't be confident. Trans people, we are providing that reality. We are creating a world where we exist beyond what everyone wants to box us in around gender. Thank you, Raquel. Thank you so much for dropping by the show and talking to us about the importance of taking care of each other. We really need to be on the lookout. There is a target against a certain specific part of our community, and let's just be honest about it. Let's work together to ensure that there's safety for everyone. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll check in with Mia Satya Too Much, who's also an activist here in San Francisco, about transgender youth. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here tonight. President Trump has recently decided to rescind federal protections that former President Obama had put into place for transgender youths and the facilities that they want to use in the education system, or I should say at school. What does this all mean for transgender youths? How do they feel about it? Let's check in with transgender activist Mia Satya Too Much. I wanted to ask, how are you doing? I am hanging in there. Mm -hmm. uh, like many Americans, including trans people, um, we're certainly um, struggling under this administration, uh, but I have a lot of hope and a lot of things to look forward to, so that's certainly what's keeping me going. Were you shocked at all that the president decided to jump on the transgender community first as we talk about LGBT uh, issues? Uh, 
trans people are used to being thrown under the bus, and I think that uh, while repealing uh, marriage equality uh, was something that he um, certainly campaigned um, on as being opposed to that, but uh, it's not politically feasible anymore to uh, not support marriage equality. And I think, unfortunately, um, trans people are still used as political pawns um, to blame us for societal problems. Um, and so I think it, uh, it, it's not a surprise that we're in this situation again. Mm -hmm. You have been involved in ensuring that you know, transgender people have protections here in, in the state, at least. Uh, transgender youth are protected in the school system, right? Yes, and to be clear, uh, the uh, decision that came from the uh, administration uh, didn't change our laws. It was a simple... Uh, dear colleague letter. So it's kind of like saying, hey girl, hey, so there's this rule that, uh, you know, called Title IX. Don't know if you've heard of it. Um, the federal court uh, system said that we should protect trans kids and that Title IX um, includes gender identity, gender, expres gender expression, as well as sex and gender. Uh, but hey, let's not follow their rules. Let's make up our own. Um, and so unfortunately, um, although that's a non-binding letter, a lot of people interpreted that as uh, changing the law. Uh, trans kids are still uh, included under Title IX um, as far as the courts are concerned. Um, and you know, this uh, looks like it will be going to the Supreme Court at some time. But certainly um, in states like California, um, students uh, still have the right to use the locker and bathroom uh, in alignment with their gender identity. Now you do a lot of advocacy for transgender youth and you yourself identifying mm -hmm. as a trans youth. Um, what are the key things that they need to know today? Because I think that you know, what you had just said is so important to know. Like, there are rights out there that need to be pr pr uh, protected and reminded that we are protected. But I also think that the president has increased widespread transphobia. Oh, certainly. I, you know, I said at the rally that we had at City Hall that I wish someone had told me when I was in middle school or high school or even elementary school uh, that you have the right uh, to be yourself uh, in your school district and you... Uh, you should be safe at home and school when you're walking down the streets and uh, they certainly, trans kids still have the right to be themselves in schools. And so, you know, if there's trans kids watching this uh, at home, on the bus somewhere, uh, you know, I just want you to know that I'm with you, that you have thousands of trans people um, around the U.S. who support you, but also we have organizational support from um, groups like the ACLU, um, and other national organizations that have our back that aren't explicitly LGBT, but they will uh, have your back. So, you know, reach out to Lambda Legal, reach out to ACLU, um, reach out to uh, other LGBT groups in your area if you're experiencing this because you're not alone. People are, you know, using the word resistance a whole lot. Um, how does the transgender community resist during this political time? Trans people have been on the forefront of resistance movements um, as long as we have existed. Trans people have always um, been around, um, living in communities, and you know, from uh, Compton's cafeteria riot, Stonewall, these iconic um, instances of trans people resisting uh, state oppression and violence. That you know is our legacy, and I know that you know in Occupy and Black Lives Matter, these um, movements that um, are fighting for um, economic justice, racial justice, 
uh, that trans people were um, instrumental in those as well, and um, particularly queer and trans youth. Um, when you look at Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter chapters across the U.S., um, you'll see a lot of queer and trans um, youth involved in that. And so this is nothing new. We're not, um, you know, the new cool accessory. Uh, we've been doing this for a long time. You continue to do so much, even if all of this is going around uh, and impacting you in a negative way, right? So you were just on the cover of a major San Francisco magazine. You're on bus ads, you know, to hire uh, trans people for jobs. I yeah. mean, you know, talk about all this work that perhaps trans youth who are tuning in tonight can be inspired by you. Yeah, I mean, having all this publicity is great, but, you know, when I was a kid and, you know, I wanted to be a vet, I wanted to be an author, um, you know, I was like, oh, it'd be cool to be a music video star and to be famous, but really the whole reason I wanted to be famous was so that I could be a UN ambassador um, and be one of those people who's championing um, change and advocating for justice. So, um, you know, to the trans kids out there, um, your life might be hard, and I can't say that I've been through everything that you have, but I can say that I never thought I would make it this far and become who I am today. And so there's hope for you. Uh, and I think that uh, trans people are very resilient and we will continue to be resilient. Thank you, Mia. Thank you so much for being an empowering voice for us all here in the community and also for being vocal about transgender youth issues. Don't go away when we come back. Final thoughts. Hi, I'm Chuck Spence. I'm the owner of the Maui Sunseeker LGBT Resort, and I'm also vice president of Maui Pride. It's not just the only LGBT resort in Maui, it's the only LGBT resort in all of Hawaii, which is really kind of amazing. Maui Sunseeker actually started years and years before I even got involved. I came along as one of the owners a little bit later in, in life. I came to Maui back in 1978 and absolutely loved the island. I fell in love and I thought, this is where I want to live, this is where I want to be. And so from 1978 until 2008, I finally came alive with the dream and bought the Maui Sunseeker because I realized that this would be the next step in my life and um, thought that this would be an ideal situation because I could do something that, that was my own business rather than making money for other people. It's important to have a place where, you know, you can feel comfortable about yourself, you can feel loved, and you can feel welcomed by everybody. And I think that that's the ambiance that we try to create. And, and that's the message that, that we try to deliver in all of our ads and trying to bring people to Maui, is that, you know, we're not just an experience on Maui, we're an experience of Maui. When you think back years ago, how closeted we used to be, and you think about how suppressed we were back then to how open and accepting we are now and and it's it's a good progression for society it's good that people are, are not just you know tolerating but appreciating diversity and that's the message is that we really need to make sure that, that people appreciate diversity I think that whoever you are follow your passion follow what you believe in follow whether it leads you down the path of art or whether it leads you down a path of business or you know, some other aspect of internet creativity. Um, follow that and, and just be passionate about what you do. Spotlight on success and achievement. 
is brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here tonight on this very, very important program. We focused on the transgender community because the administration of this current president has focused on transgender lives in a very negative way. Some decisions the president has made has negatively and adversely affected the transgender community, which has resulted in transphobia and an increase in violence committed against the community. So I say this and I say it with with caution, with fear, but also with confidence that we all can take care of each other. Watch out for one another. If you see something that doesn't look right, do something about it, say something. I don't wanna, I stop short of saying call the police because not all the time is that the right thing to do. But if you wanna learn more, I suggest that you go and visit a website affecting transgender lives and or the LGBTQ community. Start by going to the Transgender Law Center. They have a ton of great resources. If you have ideas or topics for us here on the program, head to michellemeow.com and let me know. I'll be back next week at the same time Sunday night at 9.30 after ABC 7 News. Good night, everyone. Michelle Miao Show, your A to Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. Here's Michelle Miao. Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. Tonight, we're focusing our conversation about the undocumented community and immigration reform. We'll speak to Maria Zamudio, who is with the Center for Story-Based Strategy, and we'll talk to her about what it means to identify as undocumented, queer, and Latina. We'll also speak to Maricela Esparza, who's with the San Francisco Immigrant Legal and Education Network, on what to do if approached by ICE. Before we get started with the show, let's check in with what people are saying about the LGBTQ community. Our first quote comes from RuPaul, you know, RuPaul, like, the mother of all drag queens. RuPaul had something to say about straight women who are treating gay men like accessories. Here's the quote. So I'm a brown-skinned gay man. You know, I do drag. Early on, I learned that I could do it well and make money. So people automatically ask me about beauty tips. And I get kids who write me and say, I wish you could do my makeup for my prom, or I wish you could do my makeup for my wedding. I'm like, uh-uh, I'm not a makeup artist. I'm an entertainer, okay? <laughs> okay, we got it, RuPaul. Our next quote comes from Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga had something to say as she was on RuPaul's show about identifying as LGBTQ or an ally. I'm not a gay woman, you know, and it's that touchy sort of subject where can you stand up for people that you are not necessarily fully part of that community in a way that you can understand what you all go through. But I've always been surrounded by incredibly intelligent, powerful gay men who have lifted me up through lots of changes in my life. Becoming famous was very strange, and it's the gay men in my life that helped me to become a woman. 
And I don't know that a lot of people would understand that, but it's because of what you've gone through. You've survived so much that you inspire me to continue surviving. Well said, Lady Gaga, in, in, a, in a Lady Gaga way. I totally understand where you're coming from. Our next quote comes from Elton John. Well, Sir Elton John is sticking up for Eminem and his use of homophobic lyrics. For me, Eminem was never homophobic. I listened to the whole of the Marshall Mathers album when I drove to a show in Southampton and I was floored by it. And I thought, how could anyone think this is, he, he's just writing about the way things are. Not how he thinks, but the way things are. Uh, Sir Elton John, this is where we part ways. I'm pretty sure when a straight man uses the F word in an offensive way, it is homophobic and it is what it is, offensive. So Eminem doesn't actually have to use those words if he wasn't so homophobic. That's, that, that, those are my thoughts, what do I know? Moving on to our last quote. Our last quote comes from the NCAA and their position on events in North Carolina in response to their anti-trans bill HB2. Absent any change in the law, our position remains the same regarding hosting current or future events in the state, citing the need to assure a safe, healthy, discrimination-free atmosphere for all those watching and participating in our events. Go NCAA, go! That's what we like to hear. That is courage and that is sticking up for LGBTQ rights. That's it for quotes. Don't go away when we come back. Our interview with Marisala Esparza of the San Francisco Immigrant Legal and Education Network on what to do if approached by ICE. And now, back to the Michelle Miao Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here tonight. As we have heard by now, the president's executive orders on immigration has had a very deep and negative impact on all of our communities. Joining us tonight is Marisala Esparza, who's with the San Francisco Immigrant Legal and Education Network, and she's here to tell us on what to do if approached by ICE. The country has been keeping you busy. <laughs> yes, very busy. Um, and what I mean by that is that the, uh, the president and, and the, the attitude um, that he has set in place regarding undocumented immigrants or, or immigrants in general has been dangerous. And I think a lot of people in the community are, are just asking, what is going on? There's a heightened fear, panic in the community, but also a sense of, okay, so this is happening, this is real, what are we going to do about it? What do we need to do? What can we do? How can we organize ourselves? Um, what are our rights? Getting informed as much as possible about what we can do to resist. It seemed like the country was on the right track in addressing dreamers and children of immigrant families. Now it, we, we've really fallen off the cliff. Now we're not just talking about uh, what we thought that this current president wanted to do was target you know, criminals, he has said, but this is a general widespread attack on the immigrant community, right? I just want to make that clear. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say we were on the right track before. I mean, Obama got the title deporter-in-chief for a reason um, because under his administration, um, the most amount of immigrants were deported. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say before that that we were on the right track anyways. I think that there were different 
glimmers of hope um, mm. with the DACA program, with DAPA potentially. Um, and now it's kind of like, we know we're a target. We know that bef under Obama, there were these so-called priorities um, of people who were um, being targeted by ICE officers and people who, undocumented immigrants who did not fall under those uh, priorities were technically or they felt a lot safer. But now there are no priorities anymore. Um, ICE has full discretion um, to enforce um, enforcement activities to their full discretion. What are you seeing in you know, being out there in the field? Um, what kinds of people are being impacted or affected? Well, I would say anyone who's undocumented as well as legal permanent residents, as we saw with um, the travel ban. So anyone who's not a U.S. citizen right now is definitely concerned. Folks who are um, who have the opportunity to become citizens are now kind of feeling that urge to do so. And we're encouraging folks who can and who want to become citizens to do that as well. Um, but in terms of, you know, who are the targets, it's, everyone's a target right now. People might think that, uh, well, these people did something wrong. Yeah. Like, what are you seeing? Are they family members? Are they businessmen? I mean, it's, like I said, it's everyone. I mean, we try to stay away from fe feeding into that rhetoric of good immigrants versus bad immigrants. I mean, mm -hmm. we feel that everyone has the right to migrate, to search for a better life, has the right to due process. Um, so I would say that, like I said, it's everyone. There's mm -hmm. no kind of like, it falls within this type of mm -hmm. folk that are being affected or it's only these people who fit into this category. Mm -hmm. It is everyone. Um, and so we're seeing alike right now, you know, undocumented folks, LPR folks, U.S. citizens, everyone's asking, how can we help? Mm -hmm. um, and so we've put together the Rapid Response Network um, that has been up and running in San Francisco to address those questions. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Maricela Esparza. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Many nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company. Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. 
Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. And now, back to the Michelle Miao Show. Let's continue our conversation with Maricela Esparza about what to do if approached by ICE. What to do in general during this time? Is there any advice to, to, to everyone who's being impacted? Um, yes. Yeah. So in San Francisco, we have the Rapid Response Network, which is made up of three very specific components. The first is um, a 24-hour hotline. The hotline is designed so that anyone can call and report ICE activity. As soon as we hear that ICE activity is happening um, here in San Francisco, we'll go into the second phase, which is verification. We have been seeing a lot you know, of rumors um, that ICE you know, was on 24th admission or that ICE was at, you know, a Costco somewhere. Um, so we've gotten those reports, and a lot of them are rumors fueled by fear and panic within the community. So for us, we need people to report what's happening, and then we will go and verify whether that's true or not. We will canvas the area and then um, send out an alert whether it was verified and it was truly ICE agents or whether it was a false alarm. And as a way to stem and mitigate that fear that paralyzes the community. In the event that it was ICE agents and that someone is detained, um, we will set up the third piece or activate the third piece, which is the attorney activation, where we have attorneys on standby who are ready to go down to the processing center and uh, file for representation of that individual in order to halt or stop the deportation um, and represent that individual. So the biggest thing is we're asking folks to call the hotline if they do see any ICE agents in the neighborhood being as specific as possible with the location, how many agents, why do you think it's ICE, uh, ICE officers? Um, and so, yeah, the hotline's uh, 415-200-1548. Thank you. That's 415-200-1548. I got that in my mind. Yeah. Um, so the follow-up question to that, to that is what happens or what should you do if you're approached by an ICE agent? Yes. So regardless, you know, of your... Um, status, immigration status, uh, people have certain constitutional rights. Um, and it is our job to inform everyone of what their rights are and what to do. So um, people have the most rights in their home because um, ICE officers are not allowed to enter you know, a home, a place of residence, unless they have a signed warrant by um, a judge, you know, like, more than 99% of the time, they don't have a warrant. Um, so we tell people, don't open the door, ask for um, to see a warrant. ICE has what are called administrative warrants, um, which is basically a high-level ICE officer signing a piece of paper saying, oh, yeah, sure, you guys can go and find these people. Um, and so being able to distinguish that, ask for a warrant, don't open the door, remain silent, um, just give your first name 
don't say anything else. If you know, if you're on the street and ICE starts questioning you, don't answer any questions and ask them if you're free to leave. If they say you are free to leave, walk away, don't run. Um, and if they say that you're not free to leave or they're detaining you, immediately ask for an attorney. Um, and then call a hotline, like I said, and uh, we will get you connected to someone who's able to help. Um, I'm gonna ask this question, you know, what if you don't speak English? There's, so especially if you don't speak English, you can ask for interpretation. You can ask um, that you need someone to interpret in your language, but there's also some materials that we're developing. Um, they're called red cards or just know your rights cards, which on one side it has in language what to do, what your rights are. And on the other side, it, in English, it, sa it says, I refuse to speak to you. I want to talk to an attorney. Um, you know, and you hand that card over to the ICE agents if they're refusing to provide um, interpretation as well. Now, let's talk about San Francisco as a city. Um, yes. So people know San Francisco is a sanctuary city. The mayor has been vocal about, you know, anti-ICE um, uh, activities or and or not working or cooperating with ICE on a certain level. Uh, what, what are the updates as far as San Francisco goes and yeah. immigration issues? So in San Francisco, right now, the hotline, the raid verification piece, the attorney activation, all of that is just actually in the bubble of San Francisco. We only have enough resources to be able to provide these services in San Francisco. We're working with Alameda County as well. Um, they just secured funding for a rapid response network. So we're replicating the system in Alameda County. What can the rest of us do who are impacted? Yeah, so we are working with Bay Resistance and the Immigration Liberation Movement to actually train volunteers on how to become legal observers, how to do raid verification, how to work within our system. Thank you, Maricela. Thank you so much for joining us here and for having the courage to talk about this very important issue. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation about the undocumented community with Maria Zamudio, who is with the Center for Story-Based Strategy, and she'll talk about what it means to identify as undocumented. Many nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company. Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. 
A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here tonight. We're having a focus and a discussion about the undocumented community and the current environment as it applies to the immigrant community. Our next guest is Maria Zamudio, who is a longtime activist, advocate, and uh, organizer in all things human rights. She's a housing rights activist and also does a lot of fighting for the undocumented community. She is with the Center for Story-Based Strategy, and she's here to tell us about what it means to define as queer, undocumented, and Latina. So you're undocumented and you have been fighting for immigrant rights since high school. Yeah. What, is identifying, what is identifying as undocumented actually mean? Um, that's such an interesting question because I've never really thought about being undocumented as, or like defined that identity for myself. Um, and I think it's, it's both highly personal and also highly bureaucratic. So for me, it's about, um, being undocumented and knowing, you know, from like a really pivotal age in high school and when I was trying to apply for colleges and get in that there was this huge, um, kind of roadblock that I was going to have to figure out. Um, and I've also worked really hard to have it not totally define my existence, right? So it is just about, I don't have some documentation that the U.S. requires. It's both shaped the way that I see the world and how I move through it, and it's also a piece of, it's really, you know, it's a piece of paper. Tell us your personal story of, you know, growing up here um, in California, yeah. undocumented, mm -hmm. what that was like for you, and maybe what were some roadblocks or yeah. whatever you can remember that may have prevented you from growing. Sure. Um, so growing up in California, I grew up in the 90s, um, and it, I lived a pretty regular 90s kid life, except for that I had these things that I knew, right? Like I knew my parents could get in trouble, um, and we needed to like the whole family needed to be um like i couldn't really talk about where i was from or how we got mm. here um and you know my mom was like never tell anybody that we don't have papers like never do it it's really unsafe and then when i was in high school trying to apply for colleges trying to apply for financial aid um that's really when it became real because I needed to figure out how to pay for a university. I needed to figure out how I was going to even be accepted into universities. And so I talked to my high school counselor and I've always been really grateful for her because she was really supportive. And I wasn't the only undocumented kid in my high school. I just thought I was because we didn't talk to each other. Um, but she actually brought us together and was like, okay, this pack of you, we're gonna figure this out together. Um, and I got some incredible um, scholarships and I got some incredible support from community members and yeah, you know, it made, made it happen. Talk to us about, you know, what activism looked like for you for fighting for immigrant rights sure. since high school. I mean, the yeah. environment has changed mm -hmm. drastically and mm -hmm. I would say it's gone back and forth, yeah. you know, and some, uh, periods of time it seemed as if we were progressing as a country 
uh, as far as uh, you know, accept, uh, acceptance and tolerance, and, and now we're at a place where it's just all over the place. Mm -hmm. It's chaos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I, I mean, when I, I was in high school um, when Bush was still president, right, so when I first started organizing, it was around trying to fa um, pass comprehensive immigration reform at the national level, and we still don't, right? And so I do remember that was a moment where I was like, well, I need to focus on what's happening here in my, in my neighborhood, in my city, um, and I started um, organizing with other undocumented students as well. And then doing work with undocumented youth also meant I did work with undocumented families and parents. Um, and working with undocumented adults, them being undocumented and them trying to get to college, like that's not their issue, right? Like mm -hmm. their issue is um, I'm getting my wages stolen by my boss or I'm getting evicted from my house or we don't have enough public transit system and I can't drive so I can't get to work and I'm getting fired and I'm not being able to support my family. So um, I think that's when I started doing the work with like the broader undocumented community and really started kind of acknowledging and seeing that like being undocumented and doing kind of this one thing like trying to go to college, um, that wasn't the issue. Um, that we needed to continuously be working on, and it was actually a much broader issue about like economic justice and um, and like inherent like universal human rights that folks right. need to have. Right. Which I'm, I'm thankful that you bring up universal healthcare, all this stuff that is actually universal, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it uh, intersects with other communities. You yeah. want the same thing. Yeah. You also identify as LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. So. When we say you know things like intersections, you understand that very well. Yeah. Why is it so important to acknowledge uh, intersectionality as well as you know the different identities that we have that we're not all compartmentalized mm -hmm. or, or into one thing? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I identify as queer, and actually, my queerness and my understanding of my undocumented status all kind of came at the same time, right? Like, I'm a junior, sophomore in high school, and all of a sudden it's like, my world is exploding. I'm like, I can't go to college, <laughs> I like girls. Like, things are just all confusing. Um, and so for me, both of these identities have actually grown together and been, um, and, and have developed together. And the reason why it's so important for us to intersect is because it is able, like, holding our whole complexities and being able to hold our own and others' complexities ensures that we're actually able to be in true solidarity and community with each other and develop the solutions that will truly lift all boats. What are some things that you'd like to say regarding the current environment for the undocumented community, especially undocumented youths and undocu-queers, yeah. undocumented LGBTQ youths? Um, I think that I'd like to acknowledge how scary it is, right? Like, it is scary, um, but we also are incredibly resilient communities. Immigrant communities have learned to flourish in hardship, um, and queer communities have learned to find joy and beauty and community in, in hardship as well, and so to not let the circumstances become our existence, right? So it's like we're in, it's a, it's, we're in a tough moment, um, but we also have an incredible amount of tools, an incredible amount of training, and there's a ton of leaders right now, right? So there are queer undocumented people, there are queer Latinos, queer black folks, um, undocumented black folks, undocumented um, API folks that are actually like leading so many of those, of those fights, so we're everywhere. Thank you, Maria. Thank you so much for all that you do. And again, for having the courage to speak up about these issues that impact all of our communities. 
Don't go away when we come back, some final thoughts. Thank you so much for joining me here on the show today. We touched on a very important topic that impacts the LGBTQ community and many other communities. That's the point. Immigration is not just about one person or one type of person in which I feel like this current administration wants us to focus on. It actually impacts all of us. And what's happening is incredibly sad. Families are being torn apart. Lives are being uprooted. There are things that we have to do. And these two people who joined us here tonight have a lot of courage and they have a lot of heart and a lot of love for all of our communities. So if you see them out there on the streets, please give them a high five or do something today if you want to get involved in the fight. If you have an idea for us about a special show topic, head to michellemeow.com. We'll see you next time. We're here every Sunday night at 9.30 on Coffee TV.